Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I am your host, Doris Hansen. We're thankful that you're sharing part of your evening with us tonight. You know, we're here every Thursday night at uh, this same time to bring um, information about uh, polygamy, historical information and contemporary information about polygamy and the damaging and rippling effects that Joseph Smith's polygamy uh, continues to impact our culture. You know, we exited last year, 2013, with the news that polygamy had effectually been decriminalized by Judge Wadoops on Friday the 13th in December. Now, in 1878, in Reynolds v. the United States, the Supreme Court ruled against allowing polygamy as a freedom of religion. They wrote that the First Amendment allows us the freedom to believe how we choose, but it does not allow us to behave however we choose in religion. Freedom of religion does not allow for bad behavior or for illegal and harmful activity in the name of religion. Now, in his December ruling, Judge Wadoops wrote that laws against cohabitation are unconstitutional, thereby labeling polygamy as cohabitation. But what about our Constitution that says our state will prohibit polygamy forever? Does this judge's opinion trump our Constitution without due process? And since polygamy has now been redefined to mean cohabitation, why isn't forced cohabitation illegal? And what about the tens and thousands of women and children who are forced into cohabitation for the sake of this barbaric barbaric relic called polygamy? It looks like the court chose to address only one side of this very important issue. And women's equality, women's rights, have effectually been taken backwards at least for decades. Many people argue that the government has no business being in our bedrooms. Well, if you're not breaking the law, I doubt if the government is in your bedroom. But just who is going to help when a polygamous man forces his plural wives to do things they don't want to do? Who will be there when the father rapes his daughter, or the brother rapes his sister, or the brother rapes his brother, or the old man who takes his 14th wife from a shrinking pool of 15-year-old girls? The government better be in their bedrooms. And those kinds of illegal sexual behavior are the norm in many polygamous communities. Judge Wadoop said that laws against cohabitation are unconstitutional, but we need laws against forced cohabitation, which again is exactly what polygamy is. Participants of polygamous marriages do not refer to their polygamy as celestial cohabitation, They don't call it plural cohabitation. No, it's always plural marriage or celestial marriage. They use the word marriage in reference to their relationship. And that's what it is. It isn't just cohabitation. Polygamy by the name of cohabitation is still polygamy. 
The Sister Wives Gang are the initiators of this court case before federal judge Wadoops, and anyone who has followed their soap opera Sister Wives on TV knows that when Cody Brown took his fourth wife, Robin, they had a closed, highly secret and secretive celestial marriage ceremony. It was never referred to even by them as celestial cohabitation ceremony. They used the word marriage, and all the polygamists use the word marriage. It isn't merely a matter of casual cohabitation. Polygamy, by any other name, is still polygamy. There's an article on the LDS.org website, which basically updates and at the same time misrepresents their Mormon polygamist history. Tonight we're going to take a look at that article and controvert the dishonest statements that are in it, as well as the cleverly hidden inaccuracies that are meant to whitewash the actual facts of early Mormon polygamy. Now there's not going to be enough time to go through the entire article word for word, but we will focus on some of the statements that need clarification of truth. The article can be found on the internet link that's on your TV screen where you can read it in its entirety uh, for yourself, but the, the article in entirety. But the link is too long, so you can go to our website, whatloveisthis.tv, and easily access the link. Click show notes, and then you'll access the link and be able to go on the website and read the article. The article is entitled, Plural Marriage and Families in Early Utah. Now, it doesn't say early Mormonism, but early Utah, and we'll talk about that particular thing a little bit later. Now, the particular part of the article that we're going to be talking about will go up on the screen, and we will read through it uh, segment by segment as we work through the article as time allows for tonight. What we can't finish tonight, we'll finish next week and parts of the article we will skip for the sake of time. So we will begin where the article begins, and I quote, The Bible and the Book of Mormon teach that the marriage of one man to one woman is God's standard, except at specific periods when he has declared otherwise, end quote. Well, this article begins with a misleading statement, setting the tone for all that it has to say. There are no God-given commands for polygamy anywhere in the Bible. Polygamy was practiced by some people in the Old Testament, but it was never commanded by God, and it was never a religious law in the Bible. And we challenge anyone to find one single place in the Bible where God commanded polygamy or where he made it a religious law or a religious requirement. We find it strange that Joseph Smith used the Bible as a standard to bring in his polygamy, but his church in this article is using the Bible as a standard for monogamy. It can't be both. The next part of the article, I quote, In accordance with the revelation to Joseph Smith, the practice of plural marriage, the marriage of one man to two or more women, was instituted among members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the early 1840s. End quote. The early 1840s. Did you see that? It's another misleading statement. Now, if Joseph Smith was not an adulterer, 
His first marriage was in the early 1830s with Fanny Alger, 16-year-old Fanny Alger. If his first uh, polygamous marriage wasn't Fanny, then he was an adulterer because Emma found him in the barn whooping it up with Fanny. And even if his first plural marriage wasn't Fanny, Joseph Smith married Lucinda Morgan Harris in 1838. So either way, the article said the early 1840s, and that simply is not true. The next part of the article, quote, Therefore, for more than a half a century, plural marriage was practiced by some Latter-day Saints. Only the church president held the keys authorizing the performance of new plural marriages, end quote. Now, of course, it follows that when one begins with the wrong foundation or premise, everything that binds it together actually falls apart. The idea that any man has keys to authorize plural marriages is mythical. It isn't a, a biblical concept at all. Jesus never ever said anything about that, and neither did Paul or neither did anyone else in the Bible whenever marriage was the context. Plural marriage itself is not from God. It's not biblical to live plural marriage to please God. So God will not give keys to perform a ritual that he has condemned. Both the Book of Mormon and the Bible have disallowed polygamy. And that nonsense in Jacob chapter 2, verse 30, about allowing it to raise righteous seed, it doesn't take polygamy to increase the population. And people can be righteous without having to live polygamy. The next part of the article, and I quote, in 1890, the Lord-inspired church president Wilford Woodruff to issue a statement that led to the end of the practice of plural marriage in the church. In this statement known as the Manifesto, President Woodruff, Woodruff declared his intention to abide by U.S. law forbidding plural marriage and to use his influence to convince members of the church to do likewise, end quote. Well, this is full of funny things. You know, first of all, notice that they didn't call Wilford Woodruff's inspiration a revelation, but a statement. And my question is, when does a statement trump a revelation? According to Mormon doctrine, Joseph Smith had a revelation to live polygamy. Wilford Woodruff issues a statement to stop it. Now, the LD, this LDS.org article states that Woodruff declared his in, uh, intention to abide by U.S. law. Well, that's nonsense. He took another wife after 1890 himself. Plural marriage had always been against the law. It didn't start in 1890. It was against the law when they lived it in the United States. It was against the Mexican law when they lived it there. It was against the Canadian law when they lived it there. It was against the state laws where the Mormons lived. Polygamy was not legal any place they ever lived. The true story behind the manifesto was economics. There was trouble brewing economically for the state of Utah and for the Mormons if they didn't begin abiding by the laws against polygamy, laws that were already in place. The next part of the article, and I quote, After the manifesto, monogamy was advocated in the church, both over the pulpit and through the press. 
on an exceptional basis, some new plural marriages were performed between 1890 and 1904, especially in Mexico and Canada, outside the jurisdiction of U.S. law. A small number of plural marriages were performed within the United States during those years. Again, there's, there's a lot of uh, misconception going on in these statements. It was not on uh, an exceptional basis at all. At least 262 plural marriages took place after 1890. 131 of them, or nearly 60%, were Mormon elite men who served as branch presidents or bishops or stake presidents or apostles. And you can find a list of all of this in Solemn Covenant, page 392, uh, written by B. Carmen Hardy. A lot of real good information in that book. And during that time, Mormons would run to Mexico to perform plural marriages. Some would stay there, some would come back to Utah, but they could say that they didn't perform polygamous marriages under U.S. law, yet they lived plural marriage illegally under both Mexican and United States law. The law they strived to abide by was their man-made law of polygamy at any cost. Next quote, in 1904, the church strictly prohibited new plural marriages, end quote. In 1904, I thought it was 1890, that they did this. In 1904, the church strictly prohibited new plural marriage 14 years after the 1890 manifesto. Why did it take 14 years for them to decide to obey the laws of the land? Wilford Woodruff gave the manifesto in 1890, yet hundreds and hundreds of plural marriages were performed in the LDS church after 1890. If the LDS.org article justifies their leadership who continued to live polygamy after the 1890 manifesto, why do they hypocritically criticize the contemporary polygamists who continue to live polygamy after the manifesto? Talk about the kettle calling the pot black. It was as much against the law then as it is now. And if it is wrong 100 years after the manifesto, it was also wrong 14 years after the manifesto. And they admit that they lived it during that time. The article continues to say, quote, this essay primarily addresses plural marriages as practiced by the Latter-day Saints between 1847 and 8. 1990. Well, you know, this is real clever of the writer of this article because the years between 1847 and 1890 completely ignores the period in Nauvoo where polygamy raged, women were forced and coerced into plural marriages, Joseph Smith was marrying women who already had legal living husbands, one-third of his plural wives were teenagers, it was all done on a highly secretive basis and Emma knew little or nothing about all these women her husband was secretly taking as plural wives. But this article cleverly and conveniently ignores the questionable time in their polygamous beginnings. We know why they did that, to sidestep the abhorrent polygamy practices of Joseph Smith in Nauvoo. This takes the heat off him. 
We want to quote from the LDS publication Millennial Star. This is very important, very important, so listen carefully. Quote, the Latter-day Saints from the rise of the church in 1830 till the year 1843 had no authority to marry any more than one wife each. To have done otherwise would have been a great transgression. Did you see that? If anybody lived polygamy and had more than one wife before 1843, it was a great transgression. It's interesting that Joseph Smith married at least 16 women prior to the year 1843 and 27 women prior to July 1843 when he recorded the so-called revelation on polygamy. So according to their own statement, their own prophet had committed a great transgression. He had no authority to engage in polygamy before July 1843, but he did. Our next quote, Latter-day Saints do not understand all of God's purposes for instituting through his prophets the practice of plural marriage during the 19th century. The Book of Mormon identifies one reason for God to command it, to increase the number of children born in the gospel covenant in order to raise up seed unto the Lord. Jacob 2.30. Well, we already briefly mentioned this. Now, this statement says that the LDS do not understand this. But Christians who know their God and who know their Bible certainly understand it. First of all, polygamy wasn't God's purpose at all. To blame polygamy on God is to blame Him for the loneliness the plural marriage uh, produces, the inequality, the sexual promiscuity, the rape, the child marriages, the abuses of the women and children that polygamy incubates and propagates. It is a particularly monstrous accusation against God to say He commanded this practice. He did not. Our next quote, plural marriage did result in the birth of large numbers of children within faithful Latter-day Saint homes. <clears throat> this is an interesting statement simply because there were also large number of children born in unfaithful Latter-day Saint homes. And there were large, large families in non-LDS homes, period. Large families have, they've always been a myth prodigiously used to justify polygamy. But do the math. A man with four wives cannot have more children he cannot father more children uh, than four men that each have one wife. And each man with one wife can be both a better father and a better husband. Large families is a stupid reason for polygamy, and it's also an inaccurate reason. Those who want to keep Joseph Smith's reputation pure claims that he never had any children in his polygamy. Well, then why did he live it? And what's his excuse for taking married women as plural wives? A woman with two husbands cannot produce more children than a woman with one husband. It's a myth that polygamy can produce more children than monogamy. The next statement in the article, quote, 
It also shaped 19th century Mormon society in other ways. Marriage became available to virtually all who desired it, end quote. Marriage was already available to all who desired it. It didn't take polygamy to do that. There were always more men than women in the Utah Territory, always. This is just another attempt to dull our minds against free thinking and seeing early Mormon polygamy for what it really was. And marriage was not more available to the men who couldn't get a wife because other men had so many wives. Just do the math. Our next quote. Per capita inequality of wealth was diminished as economically disadvantaged women married into more financially stable households. Well, now they're trying to justify polygamy financially. Then why was there so much poverty? Why did one of Orson Pratt's wives starve to death? Interesting, a few lines after this statement, it says, now let's compare, quote, Accounts left by men and women who practice plural marriage attest to the challenges and difficulties they experienced, such as financial difficulty. So which is it? <clears throat> financial stability, according to the earlier statement, or financial difficulty, according to this statement? You can't have it both ways. Quote from 1872 publication about polygamy in Utah, and it's a, it's a longer quote, so... Listen to this, quote, Polygamy with riches is bad enough, but polygamy with poverty is terrible. It is said that many men in Utah have entered into polygamic life with two wives under one roof and with but a very doubtful partition in the bedroom. Build up the kingdom, build up the kingdom, has been drummed into their ears till all good sense and propriety were driven out of their heads. It is very common to see excuse me, families of two or three wives living together in one small house, the women with separate bedrooms but with only one kitchen to accommodate them all, and with one room that serves as dining room and parlor, all for the kingdom's sake. When the family of either wife increased and required more room, a shed would be added behind. This was celestial marriage in Utah. And again, there's a picture of a very poor family of a man with several wives and children in a one-room house. They want it both ways in this article, it seems. <clears throat> Polygamy, if ever, equalized wealth in early Mormon polygamous Utah, and it definitely created a lot of unnecessary poverty and grief, and it still does. The next statement that we want to address excuse me, from the article, <clears throat> and I quote, <clears throat> The practice was generally based more on religious belief than on romantic love. Church leaders taught that participants in plural marriages should seek, should seek to develop a generous spirit of unselfishness and the pure love of Christ for everyone involved, end quote. Here they claim that polygamy was more for a religious belief than romantic love, as if that makes all the pain and misery okay. Where in the Bible, which Joseph Smith used to condone polygamy, where in the Bible does religion have anything to do with men's polygamy? You'll never find it there. 
On the other hand, there's plenty in the Bible where the man is commanded to love his wife. Imagine a man having to be told to love his wife. Taking love out of marriage defies God's purposes, and that's what polygamy does. Using one part of the Bible to justify bad behavior and ignoring the passages that demand better behavior is not acceptable. And why can't people develop a generous spirit of unselfishness and the pure love of Christ without having to suffer through polygamy? That doesn't make sense. The next part of the article, quote, During the years that plural marriage was publicly taught, all Latter-day Saints were expected to accept the principle as a revelation from God. Yes, they were expected to accept it, and they still are expected to accept it. But sadly, they weren't expected to prove it. They actually should have been able to, because then they would have known that it wasn't from God if they had tried to prove it. They would all have learned it couldn't have been from God. And one scripture alone, by the way, is proof enough for that. 1 Corinthians 7, 2, where it says, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. God does not have to say the same thing a dozen times before we're required to take it as truth. If he says it once, that should be enough. But polygamy was rejected by God in many, many other scriptures besides that and in other places in the Bible. You know, the article claims that not all of the Utah Mormons were expected to live polygamy, and they state that the male-female ratio is proof that not everyone was expected to be a polygamist. Then why did Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and John Taylor and Lorenzo Snow and dozens of other Mormon leaders lead their people astray by preaching the requirement of polygamy? This article sure never mentions that fact. Section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenant damns those who know about it but won't live it. Joseph Smith told Emma she would be destroyed if she didn't allow it. Joseph Smith told Helen Mark Kimball, a 14-year-old innocent girl, that the salvation of her entire family depended upon it. And since this article only wants to dwell on post-1847 polygamy, let's see what was said about polygamy during that time frame. Now, Brigham Young stated that everything he ever preached was as sure as Scripture, and who, along with all the other leaders, said that no leader of the Mormon people would ever lead them astray. Now, keep that in mind as we read these quotes. The first one is from Brigham Young. And he said, quote, Now, if any of you will deny the plurality of wives and continue to do so, I promise that you will be damned. And I will go still further and say that this revelation or any other revelation that the Lord had given and deny it in your feelings. And I promise that you will be damned. Now, that's an interesting statement. According to prophet Brigham Young, you're damned if you don't live it, and even if you feel like you don't like polygamy, you are still damned for feeling that way. 
It's a good thing that feelings really are not the standard for truth. The writer of the LDS.org article said that not everyone was expected to live it. Well, everyone who didn't want to be damned sure were expected to live it. William Clayton claimed that he learned from Joseph Smith that, and I quote, the doctrine of plural and celestial marriage is the most holy and important doctrine ever revealed to man on the earth, and that without obedience to that principle, no man can ever attain to the fullness of exaltation in the celestial glory, end quote. Tell that to the heartbroken thousands of first wives who have been forced to share their husbands through the years. Not required, huh? George Q. Cannon said that if he, and I quote, had not obeyed that command of God concerning plural marriage, I believe that I would have been damned. Joseph Smith told Heber C. Kimball that if he didn't enter into polygamy, quote, he would lose his apostleship and be damned. Joseph F. Smith, polygamist, prophet, and president of the Mormons, said, and I quote, I understand the law of celestial marriage to mean that every man in this church who has the ability to obey and practice it in righteousness and will not shall be damned. I say I understand it to mean this and nothing less, and I testify in the name of Jesus that it does mean that how they use his name in vain. And celestial marriage, by the way, always referred to polygamy. Orson Pratt wrote, and I quote, when a man who has a wife teaches her the law of God and she refuses to give her consent for him to marry another according to that law, then it becomes necessary for her to state before the president the reasons why she withholds her consent. But if the wife can show no good reason why she refuses to comply with the law which was given unto Sarah of old, then it is lawful for her husband to be married to others without her consent, and he will be justified, and she will be condemned. Such fire and brimstone that was preached to us growing up, and also would be damned if we didn't accept polygamy. And you know what? It's the same thing in early Mormon polygamy, something this LDS.org article absolutely passes completely over. And often a leader did not give his consent to a plural marriage request if the leader himself wanted to marry the girl, or if he had some other polygamous man in mind for her. Females were merely commodity then, and even in today's polygamy groups, young girls are often traded to older men to become their plural wives. It's still going on. It goes on all the time in polygamy groups. If anyone wanted eternal life, they were expected to live polygamy in early Mormonism. That's the way it was, and that's the way they taught, and that's precisely how polygamy groups teach their members today. The next quote Church leaders viewed plural marriage as a command to the church generally, while recognizing that individuals who did not enter the practice could still stand approved of God. Well, how can they have it both ways? We just read several uh, quotes where you would be damned if you didn't. How can you stand approved of God if you've been damned? It can't be both ways. And it's either a command by God or it isn't. God doesn't change. 
God doesn't compromise. His decrees are unalterable. He doesn't show favoritism. Some must live it and some don't have to. And God doesn't merely ignore disobedience. And if that statement is true, then every single one of the early Mormon prophets and presidents, beginning with Joseph Smith, led the people astray by teaching from the pulpit exactly the opposite of this statement in the LDS.org article. Well, it looks like we've reached time for our half-hour break, a little over half-hour, and to open up the telephone lines. There is much more in the article, um, but we're going to open up the telephone's line now. You can call in and make your comments or ask your questions or enter into the discussion. Um, our telephone number is 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. We would love to hear from you, and while we're waiting for the phone calls to come in, we have our message to share with you. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at We want you to know that we have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you, is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I'm your host, Doris Hansen, and we talk about polygamy in uh, most, basically Mormon polygamy in the early Mormon church as well as contemporary polygamy groups. Tonight we've been talking about an article that's on LDS.org website. Again, we're going to put that uh, link up on the screen where you can go to the website to read the article in its entirety, or you can go to our website, whatloveisthis.org, TV and click on show notes and uh, get the link much easier than trying to write it down on your TV screen. 
You know, there are some great verses in the Bible that correctly describe and categorize Mormon polygamist prophets. And I want to quote one of them here now. It's in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 23. And it says, Because they have committed villainy in Israel, and have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them, even I know and am a witness, saith the Lord. You know, we have a list of at least 50 prophecies of Joseph Smith that failed, that were not fulfilled. He spoke in God's name, but it weren't, wasn't fulfilled. God didn't say them. And according to this verse in Jeremiah, not only does that make him a false prophet, but as Jeremiah warned, Joseph Smith also committed adultery with his neighbor's wives. We know that because he took 11 of them as plural wives, and some of them did test that there was a sexual relationship between them. That indeed is adultery. I'd like to hear some, some response on Joseph Smith having so many wives that were already married. We don't get any. Jeremiah's warning proves to be true. You know, there seems to be a simultaneous rival love and hatred with the mainstream Mormons and the subject of polygamy. Many of them love their polygamist history and their ancestors, but they hate contemporary polygamy. Obviously, they don't realize that it's one and the same thing. Polygamy was no better then than it is now. It was no more commanded by God then than it is today. And if polygamy was ever the right thing to do, it would continue through the ages to be the right thing to do because God does not change. And his plan of salvation never changes and never will change. And polygamy is not the Savior. Jesus is. We have resources that we've been using in our notes. I'd like to put them up on the screen, or you can also click our show notes to get the bibliography of the information to back up everything that we say on our show. Okay, now we will take some phone calls. When I answer the phone, please turn your volume down. We have on line one, Anne calling from Magna. Hello, Anne. Hi there. Hello, Anne. You're on the air. Hi. <laughs> oh, good. It's been so long. I've been wanting to do this for so long. Oh. Um, okay. <laughs> what do you have to say? Do you have a oh, question? Uh, yes. Uh, why is the women nowadays allowed to collect all this welfare when they believe, because they've been brainwashed, yes, I understand that, but you can only go so far with brainwashing. Well, so far is far enough. I mean, you know, they, they just completely have them. I was there. I was born and raised in a polygamy group. I was brainwashed. I know what it is. And it's very difficult to get out of that frame of thinking. And it's not until you get out from it and away from it and can look back into it, and then you go, oh, I was brainwashed. But while you're now brainwashed... my mother-in-law did that. She did what? Uh, she got brainwashed or lived brainwashed. She was brainwashed, and when she tried to get out of it, even this state wouldn't even help her with her children. I mean, he was allowed to cut her completely off. Was she a polygamist? My husband was allowed to do that. Well, was she a polygamist? Are you a polygamist? Well, yes. 
Are you... I wasn't. I wasn't a polygamist. But your mother was. But my mother-in-law was, and my husband was. Oh, your husband was, but you're not? No. You're... I was brought, well, it was his first wife that found me and another woman, and we all married him in three different states. Does that make sense? Well, if you got married, so do, well, no, it doesn't. But then polygamy never does. I was married in Idaho to him. Okay. And Renee was married to him in Nelco. And Peggy, was mar his first wife, was married here in Utah. So he had three wives at the same time? Yeah, and I didn't know this. I was only 18. Oh, so um, you were li you were actually but, living polygamy, but didn't know it then. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, uh, uh, and my daughter that were, was out of polygamous, uh, she is uh, was well. They uh, put up a ten thousand dollar contract to have me killed. <laughs> you know the LeBarons did. Were Were you from the LeBaron group? Oh no no, my what? husband. Had a lot of friends in the LeBarons, a lot of them, and I never knew what all this was because I never. Suspected. So why did they want to kill you? Because you didn't want to be a polygamist. I was going to fight. I was going to fight them. Uh huh. When, well, well, maybe we ought to get you on the show and have you know a live conversation about this and tell your story. I know, you know, because my daughter came out of right. From my husband, he raped me all the time. Mm -hmm. To have children to sell, get that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's all the crimes are there. That's why uh, decriminalizing polygamy uh, is just going to put more teeth into the polygamous man to do more more of what they want to do, more of the same. Well, we've yeah. we got other calls coming in, and thanks for calling. I I'd like to, if you'd leave your telephone number with the operator, I'd like to call you and talk. Oh, uh, I will definitely. Okay. Definitely. Okay. Well, thank. Hey, love you. Thank you for calling. Good night. Hey, bye bye. Interesting story that she has to say. You know, there's a lot of stories out there. We would love to get some of them on our show so that people can see what's really going on in polygamy groups. Okay, we have on line three, Jim from Spanish Fork. Hello, Jim. Yes, ma'am. You're on the air. Thank you. Uh-huh, you have a question or a comment? Yes, I had a question, and I wanted to tell him my grandfather come out of England and was in the shipping business, and he ultimately was forced into polygamy. They didn't know anything about it when he joined the church, and then he was forced into it. Uh-huh by his bishop in Provo, and ultimately uh, was disfellowshipped because he were, didn't take his woman as a wife. Mm -hmm. uh, some widow lady, and he had to produce like six or seven cords of wood for her, and a cow, and chicken, and, and a few other things yeah. to mm -hmm. divorce, and then after that he was disfellowshipped. That, that was not... Um unusual in early Mormon polygamy. In fact, next week uh, we're going to have some quotes and talk about this even more, about how polygamy was actually forced in early Mormonism. And the article on LDS.org says it wasn't forced, that they were free to do and marry how they wanted, which is not true. Even the men, even many men were forced into polygamy. Yeah, and he was forced into it, and he didn't want to 
You're right. My my actually my grandmother was probably a lot to do with it. She was the first cousin of the Relief Society in Provo. So mm. anyway, it was amazing. And I have since mm-hmm. left the church because of this and many research things that I've come up with finding out about the church. Yeah. So yeah. I actually feel it's more of a, the adversary than it is of God. Mm-hmm. Well, it isn't from God. Polygamy is not from God. He never would have commanded this kind of a behavior or a lifestyle. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. And if it isn't of God, where is it from? You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your call, Jim. Thanks for calling and sharing. All right. So I don't get to talk with Doris then. Is that this right? is Doris. You're on the air. We're talking. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I just wanted to mention that. And. I just can't believe that all these Mormons come into the church and they were basically not even told about polygamy when they got to Utah, a thousand miles away from everything. They were forced into it, and the poor people just didn't even believe it and were mm-hmm. forced into it. And you, you know, my Jim, grandma, I'm sure, was just unbelievable that she was, you know, I mean... Unbelievable what they've done. Yeah, the, the, uh, what you're saying is so true. Uh, there's two books, one in particular, Tell It All by Fanny Stenhouse. Another one is uh, Wife Number 19 uh, by Annalisa Young. And it talks a lot about that, where the Mormonian missionaries went to Europe especially, and uh, the, the rumors of polygamy had gotten over there to the Europeans, and the Mormons were trying to recruit new members and they would ask them about polygamy. And they said, no, that's a lie. That isn't true. There's no such thing as polygamy. And they would bring them back and bring them to Utah. And there, there was polygamy. And they'd force the women into it or the widows and, and uh, the men like you're talking about. And they would be so shocked. And there's a lot of stories and uh, documented stories in, in that book I, that I mentioned. Uh, John Taylor, who was a president of the church, was in France, and he had somewhere between eight and eleven wives at the time. But he flatly denied uh, polygamy; that Mormons were practicing polygamy, and he had that all his wives uh, married to him at oh, that they time. Li- they lied all along. They lied all through it. Very beginning. Yeah, all through it. Polygamy, but yet they were practicing it, and how they can sit and lie and act like they're. Uh, the Church of God is unbelievable. It's it's the it's a basis. The whole foundation is based on those lies. That's true. Right. Exactly. Okay. Well, thanks, Jim. <laughs> appreciate talking to you. Oh, I appreciate talking to you. Thank you for all the time. Okay. Thanks for calling in. Good night. Gotcha. Okay, our phone lines, well, they're not open, but we don't have any calls ready right now. So I'm going to read an email uh, that we received from a woman. Uh, She frequently emails us with statements, but those statements are never accompanied with a reference or proof of research that's been done on her part at all. So we're going to read her email in increments and answer as we work through the letter. We received the email on January 2nd, and she started it out by saying, In the book Nauvoo Polygamy, it states that the Partridge girls were never paid while they were in the mansion house. Now the Partridge sisters were two girls that worked in in the mansion house helping Emma with her children and with the housework 
And uh, Joseph Smith ended up marrying both of those girls uh, as plural wives. Now, why she says this in her email, I don't have any idea because I don't recall that we ever said that the Partridge sisters were paid. So why she's bringing this up, I don't think it really has anything to do with anything. But the truth is that Joseph Smith married the sisters and the Bible prohibits one man from marrying sisters, uh, which happens all the time in polygamy group. And Joseph Smith actually married four or five sets of sisters. So why she brings this up, I don't know. But she also says, the wives who were already married before they married Joseph and continued to live with their husbands were never seen publicly with Joseph, nor did they ever live with him as husband and wife. Emma knew about all the wives, but chose to ignore it. Now notice that she's making some flat statements. She doesn't have any proof of any of this. She said the wives that Joseph Smith married before uh, they married Joseph Smith, why did he marry them if they were already married? The Bible says thou shalt not commit adultery, which is messing around with another man's wife or another woman's husband. And, and the fact that he wasn't seen publicly with these other men's wives only proves how deceptive and secretive his polygamist activities were. This woman is only digging a hole for herself here uh, and using uh, this, the justifications as very self-defeating. Now, as for Emma knowing all about all of his wives, she stated here, we wonder where she got her information. Uh, I'm sure that the very best of all the historians would love to talk with her because they've never made a statement like that. It's more likely that Emma knew only of a few of those wives and certainly not all of them. She said there wasn't and still isn't any proof that there were any children other than those he had with Emma. And that's always exactly our point. Uh, why did he do polygamy if he didn't have children? Uh, why it, was, it must have been merely for sexual gratification then, and that makes it pretty bad. Mormon doctrine allows for polygamy only to raise up children. So if Joseph Smith didn't have children, then his guilt is all the worse. She said the revelation about polygamy was given long before 1843. That's exactly our point. She's digging her hole deeper, but it was never officially written down until July of 1843. And, and we wonder why it took so long for him to write down the revelation. And even after he recorded it, Emma threw it in the fire, which is where it belonged. But Joseph Smith continued to lie about his polygamous marriages even after that. And remember the Millennial Star we read earlier, earlier where nobody had the authority to practice polygamy before July of 1843. There's something dreadfully wrong with your prophet. She said, polygamy is not taught today and I've never heard it taught in my life. Another point, exactly right. Why? Joseph Smith said, it, you'd be damned if you didn't do it and, and you're not even taught to do it now. That again just proves the ever-changing nature of the Mormon church compared to the non-changing nature of God. She said, Joseph was violently killed by those who uh, killed him and they suffered for the rest of their lives and then died a painful and violent death as Joseph said they would. That's brand news to me. I'm sure to a lot of historians, they don't, most of them only have theories of who killed Joseph Smith and no one knows for sure all of their identities. So how would they know if they all died violent deaths? And then she closes by saying the book of uh, Nauvoo polygamy, where you get most of your information, skipped around a lot. There were dates that were mixed up and so many unsure dates that is hardly believable. believable. And this takes the cake because she used the book Nauvoo polygamy in her first statement of her email to prove a point, And now she's uh, uh, totally discrediting the book. 
The trouble is, like so many others, she just makes generalized statements without a single shred of evidence to prove or references to prove her statements. Okay, we have a phone call here, line two, Pauline from West Valley. Pauline, you're on the air. Thank you. Hello, Pauline, you're on the air. What's your question? Uh, yes. Pauline, you need to turn your volume down on your TV. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Doris, I tried to call you a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Fanny Auger is was related to me. Yeah, interesting. And I met her twice when I was very, very young. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But my grandfather uh, had quite a few wives, but he never took care of them. He was very mean to them, and he would travel around and stuff. But I met her. She was a very fascinating woman. Who's that you met? Yeah, but she was. Who my did aunt. you? Pauline, who did you meet? Fanny Alger. You met Fanny Alger? She's my aunt. Well, that's a different Fanny than Joseph Smith married, that's for sure. Joseph, uh, Joseph Smith. My grandfather came with them, and then he he was a polygamy, but she, she came... That's a different Fanny. I was Fanny. a very young child. I'm in my 80s, okay? Well, well yeah, but see, Fan, Fanny Alger was uh, 16, year olds in, uh, 16 years old in the early 1830s. That's when Joseph... It was, a, it was the early 1900s when I met her. Well... Oh. Uh, and, and we read up on uh, some of the genealogy that they did. How old was she, was, was she when you met her? Oh, about 90. She was real old. She was really old. Oh, I, was just, I wasn't very old. I mean, oh. uh, she is a very fascinating How woman. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Did she talk about old Joe? No. Uh, uh, she never mentioned it. Uh, and we tried to find out about my grandfather because we knew he was a polygamy and we were lied to about that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, well, that's anyway. And how old were you when you met her? Oh, about five, something like that, something like this, that. Oh, okay. As hard as that. And yeah. I just remember her because she fascinated me because she had hair way up high on her head and, and real long dress. And, it, you know, for, for mm -hmm. a young child, that was very fascinating. Yeah, yeah I'll bet. Interesting. It would be interesting to pick oh. her brain, wouldn't it have been? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but she... But anyway, okay. I... Every time we talked about it, I had to be on there so I could hear you that week. Okay. Well, thank you for calling and sharing. Okay. Yeah. Good night. Okay. There's a couple of our calls here that uh, we're not going to have time to take. So if you want to leave your name uh, and number with the operator, I can call you back or you can call in next week because we're going to be talking about this same topic again next week as we go through the rest of this LDS.org article. And again, I urge our viewers to go on the online and read the article for yourself and try to be uh, checking it out. You know, try and prove what they're saying there because if you just know a little bit about early Mormon polygamy, you'll know that they have a lot of misconceptions in the article. You know, polygamy is a hot topic in Utah and in the entire and Intermountain West where Mormonism is a stronghold. You know, I know some people who are members of a polygamy group and they'll defend polygamy to their dying breath. 
Some will defend it even if they haven't lived it themselves. <clears throat> and some who have lived it, they experience the horrible and heartache and the loneliness and, of a loveless marriage. But one thing is for certain, just because this judge effectively decriminalized polygamy does not automatically make polygamy the right thing to do. The judge is not a spokesperson for God, and God brought monogamy into the human family, not polygamy. It was Joseph Smith who brought polygamy into Mormonism as a religious requirement, and God had absolutely nothing to do with it. Our purpose remains the same. If you're in a polygamy group, or if you are being pressured or convinced that you must be in polygamous marriage to please God or to go to hev heaven, you are being lied to. Yes, your father or your mother or your friend or husband will lie to you about polygamy. It happens every day in a polygamist environment. We named our show Polygamy What Love Is This because we want our viewers to learn and understand that polygamy totally wipes out and makes impossible the love that God wants you to experience in your marriage. Polygamy says you're not worthy to have your own husband. Monogamy says you are precious and special to God and and, and and you should be to your husband too. So why not embrace God's will for you and embrace Jesus Christ as the only Savior and His work on the cross as the only work ever needed for eternal life. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.